0: Welcome to the On The Way Podcast, a podcast exploring a non-violent, non-dualistic, compassionate faith life. My name is Dom Fay. It's been a little while since we have sat together and recorded an episode of the podcast, but Sue Grimmett and Peter Carter with me. Sue, thanks for making time again. It's very good to be back. And uh, Peter, how, how you, have you been? Thanks,
1: Dom. I'm doing fine. Um, well, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> 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 in some days, I don't know how I am. Um, <clears throat> life is very complex, trying to... I'm a great believer in attending to emergence, so trying to maintain that capacity of seeing what's emerging in this, um, out of the COVID-19 and and what what is God doing that we need to get with, as Rowan Williams says. Mission is about working out what God's doing and enjoying the program. Mm. Um, I've got a little bit of grief happening. Um, My annual holiday has finally died. Well, I I will still take time off, but the uh, holiday I imagined I was going to have has disappeared. Um, So there's a whole lot of complex stuff on. Um, Very busy, um, but also trying to keep healthy and fit and sensible and... Without turning those things into more pressures, you know, like we do with the famous life-work balance, where we sort of pressurize, uh, pressurize ourselves to get things right. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting time, and uh, the Chinese curse is true. <laughs> May you live in interesting times.
0: Yeah. <coughs> what about you, Sue? How how have the past <clears throat> few months been?
2: Yeah, uh, intense. Um, I it, it has been both. Uh, you know, full of, full of good and exciting things as well as um, incredibly draining. Um, I've missed the physical presence of people. Particularly, I, I got to a point where I hit the wall. We were pre-recording services. And I was just got to a point where it felt so flat. And just, uh, it, was, it was very hard. So uh, I was glad we have just returned to our church to in-person worship. It was wonderful to see people. Um, but also mixed because there's people who can't return. Mm. And so our community is not going to be the same shape it always was before because until this side of a vaccine, they just won't be able to return. We have a lot of people with complex health issues and things that would make them more vulnerable. Uh, it also has been uh, – there's, there's lots of you know, rules and constraints around the way we can do worship at the moment – Uh, and I think there's been one of the joys has been the different relationships that have developed over Zoom over with people from who had never met one another who have now become quite close because we've prayed so regularly across this time and so that's been one of the delights but also then just that lack of uh, Christianity's uh, uh, faith around presence and that lack of physical presence and being together has continued to be a, a strange loss and how to stop faith from being this sort of wordy esoteric thing when we're not grounding it in that material presence and around that material meal has has been challenging well you probably would have noticed if you're listening to this podcast regularly
0: that it's been a longer than usual absence between episodes i suppose it's fair to say that that similar to many other things going on in, in the world this year that's just due to a bit of exhaustion it's not due to the podcast not being in any way a priority but um you know if you look through our old episodes the guest list was often uh, curated from people who might have been visiting Brisbane for, you know, various tours or speaking engagements, and obviously that has not been the case. And um, sometimes adding an extra Zoom session to the week has just been a bit overwhelming for everybody who, who uh, you know, has been very grateful for what that app has been able to provide. But maybe similarly, will be very grateful to be able to take it off their computer at some stage in the coming years, or at least minimise their use a little bit um, with a bit more face to face we did think it was worthwhile gathering again um as the three of us um just because it has been some time and and to reflect on something that that both of you have picked up is sort of happening something that that you can detect is going on i guess in the in the the spirit movement in uh australia and, and maybe globally as well at the moment as a result of some of the unmasking some of the truth revealing that's happening right now um you know, a lot of the pretense, I think, has disappeared from the world in the past few months. It's a lot harder to keep up appearances um, at the moment. And that's, I guess, where this episode is is going to explore. Um, we do anticipate returning to normal episodes and normal release uh, schedules following this one. So... Um, stay tuned for for some episodes we have with some local guests and maybe a couple via Zoom um, if we're able to track some down there as well. But just to set the the tone for today's episode, Sue, um, this is something that you contacted uh, me about a couple of weeks ago. It's an idea that had sort of been coming up in a few different conversations you'd been having and you wanted to call the podcast The Death of Christendom. And so that's going to be the title that people are listening to right now, I would imagine. Um, can you just uh, t- to set the the context? Explain where that idea in particular came from and how it's arisen in recent times for you?
2: Okay, well, this is how it's arisen for me. I I've become aware um, that I think probably COVID nineteen and the crisis has helped to crystallise this or or bring to the surface a recognition that you know what is Christianity? What what are we actually doing um, when so much of um, there has been there's a, a there's a Christian faith that is hooked into power, to money, to empire, that um, has nothing to do with the way of Jesus. It's a Christianity that's, that that um, serves the purposes of of wealth, of um, power and influence, generally of white Western influence, um, and is uh, has been kind of culturally culturally transmitted to maintain those um, those power bases and as we've, we've gone through this crisis and as we've had we've been relying on um, loving community and, and seeking ways for that loving community to emerge it, it has become clearer to me anyway that that kind of um, Christianity we've always known it was not um, Jesus about Jesus way. But but how damaging it is and how, how it really is time for it to die. And I think it's it's also related to political movements across the world. We're um seeing a rise of you know, um of, of strong right wing ideologies, um, that I think is hooked into or has been culturally and historically hooked into that um the Christendom of, of empire. And uh it is just becoming so clear to me that, that, that how how that has to die and interested, I've been interested in the many voices that are that are reflecting on this in different ways at the moment. To, to
0: maybe go back and give some clear history of this, this is something we have touched on in the podcast in a number of conversations before, but I I know that uh, it was something I certainly didn't know until a couple of years ago, despite growing up in the church in a Christian school. It's something that in many conversations I have, people aren't still aware of, is that, that many people reach a point, I think, in a faith journey, I certainly did, where you can't quite comprehend. How the thing that calls itself Christianity in 2020 in most spheres resembles not just something different to what you find when you read the Gospels, but almost the, the antithesis of it. <laughs> You know, where you saw humility, you see um, ego and you see, uh, you know, things all about influence and power, where you see looking at addictions of money, you instead see some version of Christianity that seemed to fuel addictions to money and wealth and and power and significance, all these sorts of things. And, And figuring out how we got from there to here, how did something that was so captivating end up in many ways standing for the very things that it was originally opposing? I, I thought it would be really helpful A little bit of a brief history sort of recap of that Peter, can you just For those who mightn't have, have heard this before Mightn't have heard it at least in the fullness of its story Can you explain how Christianity went From Jesus and his followers walking You know, 2000 years ago And sharing stories and meals And trying to bring about change in society And more equality To the Christendom that that
1: Sue has just been talking about here Sure Um Yes, um, after Jesus died and the early church was formed around the experience of him being alive after after being killed, um, the movement was called The Way and it was all about a small group of people trying to live in sync with what they understood God was asking of them and it was about sharing resources, it was about looking after each other. It was about um, burying burying, uh, the dead of people who couldn't be bothered to bury their own dead. It was about feeding the poor, making anyone welcome. And it quite deliberately, quite deliberately had very porous borders and it was not called anything other than the way. And people from all walks of life Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, found uh, overwhelming uh, solidarity in their common humanity. Mm. And for the first 300-odd years, that was the way. And little Christian communities would form wherever people caught a vision of life being that profound and different and it wasn't about empire in fact you know all all of the classic divisions of humanity were overcome by these small groups of people who just met in homes early on the first day of the week which was a work day back then so they had to meet early because they had to go to work and they would just break bread and tell the stories of Jesus and then they'd go off and do their thing and um that idea troubled a lot of people, which is why the Christians got persecuted because it, it by its very nature, without having to do anything other than not honouring the divisions, people were threatened by it. Rome particularly was threatened by it because these people seemed to be free from the constraints that the empire relied on to keep people under control. And so these Christian communities were groups of rather powerless people, although there were some very significant people in society who joined the way, but that didn't have any sort of organisational structure. The Emperor Constantine uh, changed all that when he, uh, in a battle, um, had a vi- as, as a battle was happening, he had a vision. Of uh, the Cairo, which is the Christian uh, Christian shorthand for Christ, Christos, and he had a vision where he was told that he would win the battle if he conquered under that sign. In this sign, conquer, which is still used by um, chaplaincy services for the armed forces, and and so he had a vision that if he if he Uh, adopted the God of the Christians, that he would win the war or the battle. It was a battle for a bridge, I think. He wins the battle. Uh, It's classic, you know, dear God, if you back my side, if, you know, (laughs) attaching uh, outcomes to desires, to outcomes, and then seeing that, well, God backed me, so I'll back God. So he basically adopted Christianity as the as the religion of the Empire as a result of him winning that battle and then as so often happens um, an organization that thinks it can influence power gets colonized by power so the early church I suspect there would have been a lot of people in the early church who thought at last we don't we're not going to be persecuted for our faith the faith is now part of the mainstream. Etc., 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 and would have had this hopeful vision that the gospel would transform the empire, but power, power does what power does, and power colonizes the very thing that tries to influence it. As people who go into politics often find out, they think they can go into politics to make a difference, but the power structures form them or destroy them and that's what happened to Christianity. Christianity got co-opted, co-opted into the power structure of empire and in a very short time you know the bishops become the princes of the church um, the The church gets defended by the empire as long as the church does what the empire wants and so for in a very real sense um, The church lost itself in the empire. The empire did strike back, if you like. (laughs) Um, But the great thing is throughout history, the stories of Jesus have continued to challenge and unsettle us. And so when we get to these times like we're in now, where things get disrupted, we hear anew the radical story that Jesus puts before us.
0: It's interesting. I don't remember who said this, but uh, I remember hearing once, it might have been on a podcast, someone say that when Constantine made that decision in the fourth century, that there one of them was going to have to change because one was about hmm. challenging corrupt power and about equality and radical inclusivity hmm. and you know removing hierarchies, these sorts of things, yeah. and the other was firmly, uh, I guess, yeah. embedded in those sort of structures, yeah. and so it one thrived on division, thrived yeah. on division and control. So either the way or the empire were going to have to change yeah. to fit each other. And there was no way the Roman empire was changing. Right. And so the thing that changed was the way. Yeah. And, and so you can sort of see then how a narrative, a path was set. And here we are some 1700 odd years later. Mm-hmm. And that is the path that sort of has been, um, has been followed. Uh, do you, would it be fair to say that knots were sort of tied then that we still haven't yet? you know, being able to, to untie and in fact maybe have just continued tying more. Is that a fair statement?
1: Well, yes and no, because um, in, in, certainly in terms of way the institution has often behaved, that has been true. And yet, because God is good, there, there have always been people who have challenged that, who the institution then tries to co-op by turning them into saints.
2: <laughs>
1: I was really struck... Um, When I was in Siena, um, and Catherine of Siena is one of my favourite saints because she used to get on her high horse literally, march down to Rome and give the Pope an absolute serve. And when I was in Siena, there's a chapel where they have um, Catherine's head, mummified head, in the chapel in a cage. And I remember standing, (laughs) standing in the chapel and saying, the bastards got you. <laughs> In the end, the bastards got you because they look at they look what they did to you and yet you, your, your example continues and so even though they've tried to put you into a cage, they still haven't trapped you. So we've always had the Catherine of Siena's, the St Francis of Assisi's down the line and the church, to its credit, has always looked at those people and said they exemplify the faith... We desperately want to be like them, and then the power structure comes back at us. So it's not enough, it's not simple, it's not a simple thing to say the church lost itself completely because there has always been the Spirit of God, the simple stuff of people sharing meals and breaking bread, and thankfully telling the stories of Jesus against ourselves. The stories of Jesus keep coming back at us saying, So how is it that you're not sharing your resources with the poor Mm. how is it that you know we read you know there were no divisions amongst the early church and then we have the audacity to try and say that women are inferior to men or that gay people don't belong or whatever it is and yet the stories keep saying to us well that doesn't make sense Mm
2: -hmm. and we
1: even get um you know we the dissonance sometimes sort of screams at us you know the stories of people berating people there's that wonderful story of a catholic priest berating his people about the how they had to vote no in the marriage campaign and after this long sermon about basically talking about the evils of gay people, announces the next hymn, which is come as you are, that's how I want you. (laughs) And people in the congregation began to laugh, you know. (laughs) The dissonance made itself known. And and thankfully, you know, the the time when it becomes really dangerous is when people actually stop telling the stories of Jesus Mm. and, like Donald Trump did, hold up the Bible as a weapon without opening it. Yeah. The open Bible continues to challenge the church it's only the and then you hear it in the tele-evangelists who hardly ever actually really talk about the scriptures Mm. and so then the one that's when they can get into prosperity theology and aligning with capitalism and all of that sort of stuff but every time we open the you know in our tradition we open the scriptures and they convict us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and drive us to Points of transformation at various times in our life, and I think as a church we're at that point now. As COVID says, so how are you going to live now, Um, with all the certainties blown away? What's left? It was a particularly
0: jarring image earlier this year, seeing in the middle of the Black Lives Matters protests in America, seeing you know Donald Trump walk over, have his people clear a path for him Mm. of the protesters. Um, walk over to a church which was not aware of or in favour of him doing this and get this photo of holding up his hand on the Bible Mm. um, as if, as you said, it was a weapon that that put him in the right and Mm. and said what he... It almost put a God gloss over what he was doing. What he's done is now sanctified Mm. and how he acts is sanctified. Do you think, Sue, that was... That that is one of the death throes of this this Christendom?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... uh, wherever there is power, they will try to claim that God-gloss and try to claim the symbols of Christianity in order to justify uh, behaviour, justify the power and maintain power and control. But as Peter was saying, that Christianity does within it always allow it to to subvert itself. We cannot ever, we, we will never get rid of the capacity of Christianity to subvert itself because while we have the word both in, in the scriptures that we open every week and and the word of god present risen within Mm -hmm. the community you know with 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 people whether they be slightly strange people like saint francis of assisi or Catherine of Siena, you know, I think Catherine was considered a doctor of the church mm-hmm. as well. The, with the very fact that the church, the establishment church, has given the name doctor of the church to some of its wildest, uh, most disruptive influences, I think is an immensely hopeful thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So while we keep naming these doctors who are opening the scriptures and living them and living the experience of the resurrected Christ within them, uh, then, then that will always be able to subvert. And the fact that you hold up a symbol, you know, actually don't realize um how that will unravel you know there is no way that there's a static image that can can just um be let stand because the, the hypocrisy or the ridiculousness of it when mm-hmm. you actually know what's inside that book will will mean that it will be go forever down in history as one of those moments of of i think trump's undoing so if we talk about a course that was set 1700 odd years ago mm-hmm that
0: has led to today and led to Donald Trump holding up the Bible and, and, you know, you could probably think of many similar acts in recent years or similar statements from similar, I guess, uh, areas of power around the world. What is it, Sue, that makes you hopeful in this time that, that this thing is maybe coming towards its its end, as, as you said, the death of Christendom?
2: And, and I don't know how long the death throes go. Uh, I think I have hope in... Um well, there's many signs, but I think there's ultimately a, a hope in humanity. I've said before that what we believe about God really matters, whether we believe God is essentially punitive or... Um, and coming to get us and judging us and waiting for us to mess up or essentially loving and full of grace and for us and on our side matters in the way we live. Mm. I would also say it matters what we think of humanity, what we think of one another. Yeah. And I'm seeing increasingly hopeful signs, not just from within the church, it must be said, from, from of people saying, actually, I think humans are better than this. I think there are, we, we don't know. We are in a dire situation at the moment between climate change... Um, pandemics um inequality of wealth and resources you know we are in a dire situation and yet there is that in humanity which says you know no we actually at at our you know at our most at our base level we would prefer to be loving kind there for one another and we Mm. see that whenever that can't happen whenever a crisis happens we see the best of people And I have hope, I guess, um, and and it probably is something in all these little Zoom meetings with different people and people who are faithfully turning up to be there for one another across this time, that's triggered this for me. Um, I love that Celtic expression of Anamkara, a heart friend. And I actually think uh, the church is really, that's what we're about. We're not about um, making, and this is where the distinction for Christendom is too. You have to actually convert to something, including marching the soldiers in, in Constantine's time, in, in and under threat of death. You will convert to Christendom, you know, and, and that is so far removed from the Jesus vision of on the way, where you actually uh, invite everyone. Uh, is invited in you know everyone is welcome Mm. and the idea is that we are a community of friends not um people who tick boxes in doctrine and are allowed in the door because we measure up in some way so my hope comes from the 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 many um faces of seeing communities of friends working together for the good of one another and their local communities at the moment um heart friends Yeah. yeah it's it's interesting isn't it when you I guess think
0: about how this thing has maybe escalated increasingly in recent years. Um, I'm sure it's, it's always been sort of this this church and power haven't sat comfortably together in, in some ways, but when you look at people like Donald Trump, I guess you see the jarring... You see it more in a jarring way than ever. Do, do you think, Peter, that's sort of the whole thing maybe exploding in on itself, collapsing in on yeah, itself? I mean,
1: that, that, the, the bit I find most hopeful is just how... Some of the most bizarre claims um, of people who hold on, hold on to the title Christian, how how free they feel at the moment to make some of the most bizarre claims, things things that I think um, a sensible marketeer of anything would keep secret. They are suddenly feeling sufficiently. It's it's not emboldened. It's it's, it's somehow. I'm not exactly how to describe. I'm not sure exactly how to describe where they're coming from but what how it's manifesting is and we see it in, in groups like the ACL the Australian Christian Lobby um, the current director of the ACL is making some outrageous statements and is in the process um, marginalising um, that particular brand of Christianity and of course mar- marginalising the rest of us with it but there's, there's something about their, um, their desperateness and the fact that they've closed in on themselves, so now it's sort of like an echo chamber, that they really have no idea how bizarre and ridiculous and, yes, ridiculous, the claims they're making are. And it's like they're unmasking themselves in a way that um, is, I'm finding surprising. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're making public declarations of things that I would have, I've always have thought they had believed, but in the past they've, they've tried to dress up to make it sound reasonable. Mm-hmm. So it's like as, um, I read this morning one of the people in the White House said, "You know, you can't let science get in the way of open us opening up schools." I mean, that's the sort of thing that, um, and it's like you can't let you know the subtext in a lot of the COVID. Um, um, experience has been people saying, Oh, we have to sacrifice the old people to keep the economy alive but people aren 't you know, people don 't say that because that 's an outrageous thing to say, even though that 's what they are saying as a subtext but a lot of a lot of the sort of people who have this power idea of Christianity at the moment seem to be saying these things that if they had any sensibility to them at all they would just not say as as boldly and so the ACL is unmasking itself as as a really um, out of step with everything including God organization just like the American extreme right church has been doing for some time And because they have been emboldened by Trump's presidency they have gone out and said things that are absolutely bizarre find themselves you know um, specifically um, celebrating white supremacy um, whereas for the last three or four decades they have done it in a way that has seemed genteel they've lost their genteelness and so for me it's a great unmasking so that um, reasonable people of, of any faith and no faith are going those people you know the Emperor has no the Emperor really doesn't have any clothes on. The Emperor has been stripped away, and they' they're disempowering themselves, which is the thing I'm finding most fantastic, is that the mainstream, in the past, the mainstream has listened and thought, well, you know they're good people, and you know there's sort of been a an, enough reasonableness that the mainstream has a, has been prepared to accept the leadership of the Republican Party and and Christianity and stuff like that but now the bizarreness thankfully is unmasking it and reasonable people are looking for something else and that's where we have an opportunity to retell the you know the gospel of inclusion and um, and so there's an incredible opportunity, and and so the, that form of Christendom, which was all about power and attaching itself to capitalism and and making money and prosperity theology, is is unmasking itself.
2: I actually think it's a nice way to look at it because that word civilization or civility, I think civility or being nice even has been has been a, a coverall for actually religious practices and beliefs and communities that have supported xenophobia have. Um, been essentially patriarchal, um, but because it's under the guise of civil society, they're nice people, um, really acting for everyone's good, um, it's been allowed to kind of just drift on and flourish. I think in, in early Australia we have, um, we have some of the, the clergy being involved in um, some really horrific punishments of convicts you know and we have um people being thinking that they were bringing civilization when really it's racism you know but it was masked behind that and uh that's one of those things that i think um as people as this as the veil of of civilization it's getting very threadbare and showing itself with quite an ugly face behind it so i guess the question i'm that's on my mind is why is that happening now do you think what why is
0: this genteelness gone? Why all of a sudden, in the past, I don't know, five, ten years, does it feel like, and, and maybe even more, the past twelve months specifically, why is it? Does it feel like that that veneer is gone, and now they're just they're just saying things
1: that they used to, you know, feel you had to cover up? Well, I think it's because they're desperate. I think, and that that's why there's the hope of. You know, the effect, the influence of the institutional church over society even in America has been waning for several decades and for a long time I think there was this idea that, you, you know, we, that we can still control the levers of power and we can, um, we can still exercise this influence just by being civil and civility was one of the weapons. But now I think as as they detect they're becoming more marginalised. Like you know in, in a country like Australia, we had um, 75% of the population in a in a in a poll that was stacked to try and make it you know, make the make the case fail. 75% of the population went against the advice of the usual moral leadership to um, to endorse same-sex marriage uh, and I think as in Australia I think that was a watershed moment I think the ACL for a long time tried and organisations liked it tried to do the civil thing and you know, this is about fa- you know family and you know, all those all those buzzwords you know it's about family and children and uh, but they lost that one and so I think there's an increasing sense of desperation, and desperation leads to desperate measures, and then, and people's guards drop. It's like when it's like in households when there is stress. Um, you learn about the true nature of people and it's where the violence comes out. I mean I think it's all part of the pattern of how humans behave when they're under stress. They lose their capacity to be self-reflective, they lose their capacity to uh, sort of dampen down things and they lose that capacity to separate their thought processes from their public statements. So I think all of that is happening at a at an organisational level, um, I think one of the other things that's worked certainly in, in, in the church is that a whole bunch of reasonable people have left the church over the years and have left it, you know, left the lunatics, <laughs> as they say. And you know, and when that happened, you know, it, it, the, the less welcoming Christianity in certain parts of the church are then people who want to be welcomed or want to be welcoming go somewhere else. Um, So I think there's a whole lot of things that have been feeding um, into that, and I think that's all the more reason why people who hold an alternate view and hold a completely different image of what the Commonwealth of God looks like and how it interacts with uh, structures and institutions need to be using this opportunity to say, well, it doesn't have to be this way, and hopefully that's what we do through this podcast.
0: I remember being a, a kid in maybe a somewhat um, more conservative uh, church, sort of the model we're talking about here. And anytime you wanted to read a book or, or listen to an artist or whatever it might be, the question was, the most important question was, is that a Christian artist? Is that a Christian band? Is that a Christian author? You know, is this a, is this a Christian movie we're going to see? And I think it's rebellious as Christian makes for a very poor adjective. This idea that that, that, that was what mattered. Was it that, that are they in our club? Are they speaking yeah. the similar things? Is this safe? Is this okay? And I, I guess that sort of idea is part of what is being, you know, deconstructed. A question I have, though, that I, I in a sense, I think I, I can come to some answers, but I'd be interested for your perspective on it. Uh, what does that version of Christianity, the one we've just spoken about that leads to things such as the ACL and, uh, you know, the way they've spoken of late, what is it doing for the people who hold to that, that belief? Because I think about my Christian faith, for example, and I think what it does is it gives me a sense of peace, of knowing I am loved, of actually seeing the shape of the universe and feeling safe in it. I guess, is a core level. It challenges, it deconstructs, it does all those sorts of things and actually leads to a more abundant sort of life than any any other. As I've said a number of times, I feel like I've tried, I tried a number of other things to be the fuel of life and none of them worked very well. And then I stumbled upon this sort of message of universal love and inclusion and this life at its core level being a safe place for all and on the side of those who are, are oppressed. But what is it that that version of faith is doing for these people why is it that so many are still invested in it profoundly and and why is it that that they defend their right for to be invested in it so profoundly what is it giving to them
1: Uh, much the same stuff only dressed up differently i think in terms of offers um safety um but in from but in a different form so it's safety that comes through certainty and unchangeability and um protecting you know, it works on the basis of, you know, 19... You know, as a, as a caricature, but it sort of illustrates the point. In 1950s, life was great. Um, you know, we didn't have much in the way of divorce. Mummies stayed home, looked after the kids. Daddies went out and worked. Uh, they came home, they had a magical life. Um, life was ordered. Um, black people knew their place. Uh, you know, there's a, a big narrative there about how... It was safe for for good good middle class and working class white people life was safe and ordered and they knew where they stood and they knew where everybody else stood. They knew what life you know they knew how life was ordered. Um, people knew their place, they stayed in their place, um, and it was safe and it was ordered and life was good, inadverted comments. I mean in fact, none of that is true because mm. you know, women were on barbiturates because they were so stressed, and domestic violence was hidden, and you know all the stuff we know. Um, but the 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 sort of the model was that in those days life was good because everyone knew where they belonged. Whereas this these days, where we've got all these things falling apart, um, you know, women not looking after the kids, you know, all that. Just sort of the anti narrative of what I've just said. Mm. Um, And, you know, divorce, we wouldn't have divorce if it wasn't for Gough Whitlam, those sort of, you know, know, (laughs) all of those sort of statements. Um, So people are hankering after something that never existed, Mm. but are being sold a product as if that is where. Peace, civility—all the things you appreciate about your faith—are to be found, and yet what it leads to is a whole heap of really, really frightened people. So, you know, you end up with um, the incel movement, where you know the guys, those guys who think that if you know if the women's liberation hadn't come along, they would get sex because women would know that it was their job to give sex to men. Whereas these days, now you've actually got to be an interesting and wonderful person to get sex. I mean, how you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that, that's their narrative, you know. In the good old days, women just gave sex to men because men were allowed to demand it, you know. It's sort of. Uh. Um, so we've got this sort of protest movement of people who've been, who feel as a result of what's happening in society, and, and the same's happening in churches, conservative churches, is that they have been disenfranchised. You've been on the journey where you've actually set, discovered that there's an incredible liberation in the uncertainty and the becoming and actually having an equal relationship with your partner and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but people are being told that that is horrible and scary and if you adopt this, you know, if, you, if you adopt 1950s and the way everything was, it'll, you know, all we have to do is get back to that. Mm. And it's a myth. Well, it's not a myth, because myths, myth, myths are good. It's a fairy tale. Mm. Mm. It's a lie. But I, I do think it offers a closed narrative. It clo- offers a
2: story. I think why people yes. want it is that you don't have to look outside it because you've got the whole thing contained in this cohesive, um, closed narrative. And because it's an objective truth, and this is, I, I keep coming back again and again to... Um, that's where people derive their power. If you do not have objective truth, you don't have power. So it is holding up and saying, this is what God is about. This is what Christianity is about. It's these rules. You abide by these guidelines. You fit into these doctrines. Um, Do this, don't do that. Here's a a whole closed narrative for how you can live your life because we believe this is objectively true. But the thing is Jesus came along and he didn't give people a whole lot of objective rules to follow jesus came along and said love god and love one another and work it out from there basically Mm. that if you follow those everything else is contained in it live in the openness of a life lived out of love and see where it takes you and that is scary as you know if we're going to talk about churches a bunch of heart friends together that means every individual relationship is going to be subjective contextual you have to work out what love looks like with every single one of those individual relationships and uh, while we're hanging on while people can lay claim to saying no, uh, these are the objectives, truths, then they are ruling over other people. They have power over other, other people, and people are no longer free to let love guide their lives. And mm. but because it gives that sense of certainty, people are so loath to let it go.
0: It's fascinating you say that. I mean, I, George Tripp, who has been on this podcast a number of times, I was speaking to him recently about, um, the tradition of using dreams as like a soul insight spiritual practice, um, which he's spoken with us about. And he he said he finds it sort of unsurprising that in the first 300 years, for example, of the way, uh, and ancient religious traditions too, spiritual traditions, looking at the dream was such a pivotal personal spiritual resource to say, what is going on in my soul? what am I, What is the voice of God saying to me? What is actually happening here? But that things such as this sort of got beaten out of the Christian faith mm. because they give the autonomy to, to you. You know, they give you autonomy. They give you the the, the responsibility to say this journey of yeah. life and faith between you and God is you and God and the people around you individually, not your parish priest who sets the rules from their governing body that we all follow objectively. Yeah.
1: It's, it's no, yes, it's certainly no... Um, no um, accident that after the empire colonized the church, that dream work started to cease in the church. Mm. And that, you know, we see it as the doctrine of the Trinity sort of uh, develops too, that the the spirit gets disempowered, gets turned into a bird that flits around on the edges of the power structure um, because the spirit is the... is the thing that the institutional church, when it's tied to power, fears most. And it, we've, and both the major manifestations of the church in the West have, have um, sought to, to disempower the power of the spirit. So, you know, there was the Catholic church with its magisterium, there was the Protestant church with its focus on the Bible and the, and the pastor. Um, the charismatic movement was an attempt to set that free, but even that got controlled by form.
2: Mm.
1: You know, that You had to be manifested in a particular way, and the spirit got, got reduced to being a particular set of manifestations that didn't actually trouble anyone just gave people a feel good
0: yeah
1: but it's the spirit um, you know it's the spirit that enlivens the dance of the trinity and it's the spirit that keeps saying to us you know those those words that are quite rightly in the last book of the bible hear what the spirit is saying to the churches is a constant rebuke to us and it's it's the power of the last book of the Bible it's basically saying you think you know, it's a series of you think you got it sorted well actually you're too hot you're too cold you're neither nothing and listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches Mm. I used to think it was horrible that that book existed but I'm actually now really grateful because it is a disruptive book it disrupts a whole lot of stuff but it actually keeps saying to us anyone who thinks that they've got it sorted, any church that thinks it's got it sorted needs to get back and listen.
2: It's one of the tragedies, I think, of the Pentecostal movement is that it did get co-opted into worship of the family, worship of, of essentially yeah. very patriarchal forms, and it got suckered into objective doctrines at the same time as uh, in which which actually stopped what its movement was designed mm-hmm. to release, Absolutely. And where which it was a move of the Spirit, and I've been part of Pentecostal mm-hmm. churches, and... I um the wonder of some of those churches is that they really did have open doors that it didn't matter who you were Mm. what you'd been through you weren't judged for that you were welcomed and they did this generous hospitality that was pure spirit Mm. um but unfortunately then it got followed up with but then you've got to fix yourself up and be just like this you know Mm. in so many I didn't you know the, but the move there is definitely of the Spirit, and I'm sure the Spirit is continuing to work there, and there are mm. probably many churches that are, that are resisting, and that same Spirit is rising up and saying, no, truth is subjective. You know, truth is a subjective, you know, we have a relational experience with God and with one another that we work out by the Spirit together. It's interesting,
0: I, from my own Lutheran background, I always found this interesting that the Lutheran Church was founded on basically somebody... Reflecting on the church and saying we've lost our way in these areas and challenging some of those areas, and um, and yet in many manifestations around the world, it is a, a denomination now which uh, also has so much good going on inside of it, but also is so resistant to change and to challenge. So the very thing it was founded upon, almost the very thing that set it apart, was we will we want to be people who actually hold true to. To what we believe to be important and, and we'll continue to challenge ourselves To make sure we stick to that Has become stagnant in itself yeah. And so there is something There does seem to be something about The moment you, that the institution begins And the power structures get set up That suddenly that movement of the spirit And that ability to have the autonomy yeah. On the individuals And the individual relationships yeah. With subjective truth All goes out the window Is, is that just the nature of power?
1: Well, it's not, Well, it's also just the nature, human nature. We we settle into patterns, um, and and yet the critique is always there within the structure of the. You know, the Catholic Church has always lived by the doctrine that the Church is in constant need of, the, of reformation. Mm. It's actually one of the bylines of the Catholic Church is the Church is so. So even though we have this tendency to to fall into, um, we tend to get concretized. Um, we still always have this unsettling thing happening in us which i think is is the is the genius of god really that the church the church the church keeps telling the stories of jesus and keeps Talking about the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit to inspire us, and the damn thing keeps on coming along and doing it. <laughs> 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 yeah it keeps unsettling us you know, and and I think that's the beauty of it is that is that um, we, we know we're not most most Christians, most churches know that they are doing things that aren't consistent with God and they're struggling to find ways. To reform themselves so that they are. Um, there are certain. There's some that don't, of course. But I think the great bulk of Christianity across the world is full of people who are really striving to honour God. And sometimes the structures help us, and a lot of the time the structures hinder us. Um, but as long as we keep you know, asking the Spirit to interfere and the, the Spirit will. And as long as we keep telling those stories of, you know, having the embarrassing moment of having to read from the Acts of the Apostle, you know, that all of the believers were one in heart and mind and soul and no one kept any property to themselves. Mm. And the guy who did ended up dying, um, <laughs> you know, as long as that story, we, as long as we do keep telling the stories, we will continue to unsettle ourselves. It's when when the scriptures start becoming used as proof texts, so people only pick the bits that they want to, you know, back up what they want to say. That we have trouble, um, and and there are certainly large parts of the church that do do that. But you know, I remain hopeful, and I think you know some of these bizarre things at the moment are just signs of hope that that things are changing, and some people don't like it. It's coming.
0: I, um, I'm i reminded of, I think it was the theologian Phyllis Tickle who spoke about how every 500 years the church seems to have some sort of great turning, great yeah. reformation. A jumble sale, I think, was <laughs> yeah. the phrase. Sure, sure. And yeah. that we drew our next one just yeah. about at the moment. Yeah. Um, and if we're talking about the death of Christendom, obviously we've spoken before about the um, death and then new life pattern that, that seems to be at the very nature of all of hmm. this existence and the very core of this faith. Okay. If we're coming to the Good Friday, if we're in the Good Friday, maybe, of, the, of Christendom, um, what's, what's Easter Sunday going to look like?
1: Well, we've got to do Holy Saturday first, Dom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I think that the, we've got to allow a lot of deaths first in all of us. And I, I think it's going to take a solid commitment. I believe we're capable of it to be to all become atheists to the kind of God that is hooked in to empire and power and patriarchy Mm. you know uh we we have to become atheists to that kind of god and that it's actually it's because it's such a seduction for all of us and for the institutional church as a whole and i think we have to daily it's what the daily take up your cross means daily take up the um a willingness to let all of that die so that we can actually um follow the way of jesus instead Um, And for me, that's what Easter Sunday looks like. But only after you become a committed atheist to that other kind of God. And I
0: suppose in my mind, even the the language of how I ask that question suggests that on the other side of this, whatever this this is, when we get to the other side, there'll be the, the way it will all be ordered and then we'll have it sorted out. But the very nature of what we're talking about suggests that it, it is always going to be an ongoing. It's not as, it's not a struggle for perfection, and one day we'll have it, and then we set and forget for the next no, five hundred years. If you it's not
1: linear, it, it is a it is a circle, a cycle. Yeah, and and there is no yeah, there is no magic place on the other side, as the disciples discovered on Easter Day. I mean, Easter Day for them was a terrifying experience, and confusing. And Jesus popped in and out and, you know, he was there, then he wasn't. And they were scared and it didn't make sense. Um, but they felt something had changed and they tried to honour that. And, you know, we've, we have done to the... We have done to... We've made it all linear, you know, death, a little bit of a rest, mm. new order. But, you know, Easter was not... You know, Easter was an unfolding. Mm and it it it's still unfolding you know who, where we find the resurrected christ is still a place of constant surprise
0: i i am no, noticing in myself the i think this is in human nature generally the desire to avoid uncertainty and um you know i think if anyone was offered right now if someone came to the door and said, "Hey, you have just won enough money that you'll never have to worry about money again, and every debt will be covered," everyone would think, "I'll never, like, I'll be happy for the rest of my life, or whatever it might be." This idea that whatever we can do to set and forget, to to lock things down, to get rid of the uncertainty, the tension, the the toing and froing of life, it, it seems to be a very core
2: desire in me, and I think in many people. Absolutely, and and we want that objective perfection too. What you're yeah. describing, where's the perfect church? Where do we get to? There is no objective perfection, but the the great hope is that there's there's um, love and joy and peace in relationships, and that the spirit um, of the risen Christ is part of those relationships, and will be continually offering those kind of surprises mm. along the way. I guess
0: it's interesting because you know you can sort of see when you start to think that way how a lot of the current structures, the Christendom. Um, came out of human nature mm-hmm. this desire of people to think well it, it would be so much easier if we just followed these truths and we all went to mm-hmm. this place every sunday and it was exactly this same thing and, and we mm-hmm. just kept doing it but that is that weird counterintuitive thing that that we desire certainty and things being locked down but then when we get there it feels it's what you always say sue that life will always out you know that that it doesn't take long for the cracks to start to appear mm-hmm. so almost if we're talking about the death of christendom do you think it's important almost to accept that this thing will never be static absolutely. as a, as a sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, there is no, the only, the only static thing is dead. Yeah. A living thing is evolving, changing, growing, um, surprising itself. Yeah, you know, and, that, and that's what I find exciting is, is, Yeah, you know, I, I I get excited by emergence and, and new things and, you know, biology really um and and you know the the thought of having a life which was safe and but boring uh, i just you know because that's that's what it becomes you mm-hmm. know I, I may have told the story once before of a lady i buried in my first parish and um her son told me that um When I asked him to tell me about his mother's life, he said there's nothing much to to say really because she had this absolute discipline of the way she lived and her life was very simple and very structured. So she got up at exactly the same time. She had pretty well the same breakfast and had a daily routine that was just really tight. And he said to me, my mum was convinced that if she just lived that life, she would never die because the routine was so well established. So actually, death took her by surprise, and it was her life was as and he had nothing to report. Mm. There were the days when priests had to do all the eulogies because people didn't talk in church and um you know he gave me nothing he couldn't give me anything couldn't even talk about her as a as a loving mother because it was all about order and precision, and it wasn 't that she was an unloving mother, it was just that there was no creative spark there was no adventure there was no unknown Um, and she just lived that way for decades with the idea that it would be be so secure and so predictable that you know there wouldn't be room for death to intervene because she had to do you know the washing was done at a certain time of the day and Mm. and that you know if you want a predictable life that's the cost. She took no risks, had no adventures, didn't go on holidays. But that, you know, if you want certainty, that's what you get. You get a nothing. Yeah. yeah. It was one of the s- I found it one of the saddest stories I'd ever heard in my life. And it was one of the most tragic funerals I've ever taken in my life. Because I thought, what a waste no talents exercise no didn't care about anything in one sense i I was you know i finished that funeral which took took 17 minutes (laughs) Mm. and she was gone you know dust and i thought gosh i feel really shattered by this it was more tragic than a tragic you know more tragic than a car accident
2: Yeah. I think it's the, the, there's so much in the Bible about choosing life. Ooh, Over, choosing, you know, life. Choose okay. life. And choose God it. is the God of the living, not of the dead. And that means either side of the transition of of, of that is death. Mm. You know, God is the God of the living. And that's where we find ourselves always now, I think, is, is where God's people are life-filled, grace-merry people. And it means we're never going to lock this thing down, despite the fact that, you know, the
0: desire for... For something that's set Mm. and stable is in each of us, I suppose. If we're, if you want to be a traveller on the way, you have to accept that's never the. Yeah, we're on a journey.
1: journey, It's a way. It is the way. Yeah, and that's travel Long way around me. why we hmm. call
0: the podcast on the way so which <laughs> is a nice place to I suppose leave things for now thank you so much Sue thank and Peter you, it's been lovely yes. to be back with you having hmm. these conversations great to chat and uh, make sure you do stay tuned to the on the way Facebook page and um, and also to the podcast feed we will hopefully have an episode there for you within the next month or so and uh, we will be back to a normal upload schedule from that point onwards as always get in touch with the podcast through Facebook if you have any questions or you'd like to just uh, have a conversation We are always open for that. Thank you for listening and uh, we will be back with another episode of the podcast shortly.